Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Area at the airport. You've been there, right? It's a horrible place to have to wait. And a cute girl caught his eye. So he decided he was going to go over and talk to her. Now, like most men, he didn't have a good pickup line. So he just walked over and said, What kind of guys do you like to go out with? Horrible first line, right? And she says, Well, you know, I like going out with Native Americans. They're chiseled, good looks. They're strong, muscular. I like going out with them. She says, I also like going out with Jewish guys. They're usually well off financially, and they've got a rich history and traditions. I enjoy that. She says, but I really like those country boys, too. They know how to have a good time. They're, they're fun. She looks at him and says, by the way, what's your name? He goes, me? My name is Geronimo Bernstein, but you can call me Bubba. What's in a name? What's in a name? Have you ever had your parents tell you, don't embarrass us? Don't, I heard somebody say, yeah. Don't embarrass the family name. We have a good name. Don't embarrass us. Don't you know that us, insert last name, we don't do that. We don't behave. Have you ever wondered if all the effort that you put into your family name ever mattered? I know I have. Does it matter? Does anybody care? Well, they did a study. American colonial times. The first guy, his name was Max Juke. Interesting name. He lived in, in colonial times, Max Juke. The other one was Jonathan Edwards. Now, uh, different researchers researched their families and the legacy that these two men left behind. Let's, let's check it out. So uh, Max Juke, he was researched by a man named Richard Dugdale. Um, and Max was a man who, he was free-spirited, okay? He was an atheist. He promoted free sex. He didn't like to live under the laws. He didn't want anybody telling him what to do. He would just work enough to earn a little bit of money for what he needed to get by, and then he would quit and go hunting and fishing. He just did what he wanted to do. Now, according to the researchers, he was, um, they said he was a hunter and a fisher. He was a hard drinker. He was jolly and companionable. He was a nice guy, but he was adverse to steady toil, working hard by spurts and idling by spurts. In other words, Max was neither principled or industrious. 
Jonathan Edwards, on the other hand, he was uh, his family was researched by name by A.E. Winship, and Jonathan Edwards was everything Max Juke was not. He was a God-fearing man. He was Bible-believing. He was a godly minister who is credited with starting the great awakening that happened in early colonial times. His sermons were at the start of that great awakening. He also served for a brief time as president of what we now call Princeton University just before he passed away. And so they looked at these two men and the legacy they would leave. And Max Duke had a thousand descendants they could find, just a little over a thousand. And Jonathan Edwards had a little over 900, almost the same, a little bit different, but almost the same. And they looked at their descendants. And so of the thousand descendants of Max, 310 died as paupers. 300 of them were convicts. 27 were murderers, 190 of them were prostitutes, 509 of them had wrecked their lives with either alcohol or drug, 60 of them were thieves, 20 of them became tradesmen, that's good, but 10 of them learned their trade while they were in prison. And the researcher was able to estimate that the Jukes had cost the state of New York $1.4 million to house and institutionalize this family. That's in 1877 dollars. So that was a lot of money. $1.4 million, a lot of money in 1877. I mean, it it still is. I'd like to have $1.4 million. Contrast that with Jonathan Edwards. And his 900-plus descendants had 13 college presidents, 86 college professors, 430 ministers, 314 war veterans, 75 authors, 100 lawyers, 30 judges, 66 physicians, 80 holders of public office, including three U.S. senators, seven congressmen, mayors of three large cities, governors of three states, a vice president of the United States, and the controller of the U.S. Treasury. What a difference the legacy that these two men left on their descendants. Don't ever underestimate the impact that you have on your family and on our world. From this generation to the next and beyond. Okay? Don't ever underestimate that. We're doing um, a series right now called Connect Forward, talking about relationships. Last week, Pastor talked about relationships with our spouses. You can check that out online uh, if you missed it. Um, But today we're going to be talking about kind of our more family relationships, parents to siblings, with our cousins, with our aunts and uncles, their grandparents. Said, oh, good, I don't have to listen because my kids are grown or I don't have kids. Now, he's talking to those AUS parents, not to me. Nothing could be further than the truth. Number one, does your parenting responsibility end when your children turn 18? Do you stop caring for your kids when they turn 18? 
No. No. So, you know, we want that to continue on. It's different, but we want that to continue on. And, and secondly, everything I was going to say about the children could apply to relationships with our cousins, our aunts, uncles, and the children in the But we have a responsibility to our extended family, too, not just to our children. Amen? All right. So, um, you know, we want, to, we want to talk about this. We want to keep going. Being, parent, being a parent is a lifelong calling. It doesn't end when the kids turn 18 years old. And um, the book of Ephesians kind of talks about this a lot, right? It says, as Christians, we're supposed to be different. We're not supposed to be like the world. We're called to walk in light, not darkness. We're called to walk in the wisdom, not foolishness. We're called to be in the spirit, not the flesh. We're supposed to be unique. Why? Because we have knowledge of God. Okay? We have knowledge of God, and that makes us different. Let's look at what God says in Leviticus chapter 18. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 18. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, third book of the Bible. I always do good with the early books, but you know, I kind of start at the beginning. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and those later books, they're hard to get to. Leviticus 18, verses 1 to 5. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do. Where? In Egypt. Where are you? Maybe we do a whole series on wisdom we can learn from songs. So we need to think about the mission. It just kind of happens. And so we have to talk about the mission of, of being a parent. And our default is always what our parents did to us, right? That's our default parenting, is how our parents parented us. Now, if you had great parents...
But let's talk about what parenting is not. Parenting is not raising your children to develop their full potential. What? I thought we were supposed to raise our kids so they could be all they could be, right? This is the army commercial. Be all you can be. What does that even mean? How can you be all you can be? Hey, when you stop and think about it, it doesn't even make sense. Right? Raising children is not helping them be all they can be. Have you ever met parents? None of us in here, you know. We're talking about other people, okay? None of us in here. Have you ever met parents that they're all, you know, my kid is the greatest. My kid gets the best grades. My kid is gifted. My kid is this. My kid is that. You ever met somebody like that? Yeah. Have they ever talked about how kind their child is? Or how loving their child is? or how merciful their child is. Be all you can be ends badly. Now, I'm all for helping our children develop and grow, amen? We need to provide them with the skill set they need to, to do well in life. But that's not the primary goal of parenting. The primary goal of parenting is not to produce clones of ourselves. Little mini me running around just like me, that's not what we want to do either. The primary goal of parenting is not to expose our child to every possible life experience. Because sometimes that happens too, right? We got soccer on Monday, we got dance on Tuesday, we got karate on Wednesday, we got band on Thursday, right? This is like the ADD way of parenting. It'd drive you crazy. This is not what parenting is supposed to be. Now, it's okay to expose our children to some of those things, but the goal of being a parent is not exposing your child to every kind of life experience there could be. Being a parent is not raising your child to try and fix your broken marriage or relationships. Sometimes we have kids because that'll save our marriage. I've never seen that work. Okay? So if these are all the things parenting is not, and some of these things are good, but these are all the things parenting are not, what is it to be a parent? I wanted to play the opening song to the old TV show Mission Impossible, where it comes walking in. Your mission, Mr. Phelps, should you choose to accept it, is, but, you know, it's copyright. You can't play that. So just imagine it in your heads. What is the mission? The mission is to prepare your children for eternal life. I would gladly give up all success on this earth for my children if I could get them into heaven. Live as a pauper, homeless. If I can get you into heaven, it was worth it. Now, those other things are okay. It's okay to experience some of the things in life. It's okay to be successful. It's okay to do well. 
But those are sub, you know, they're underneath to getting into heaven. Heaven is the number one goal, right? Let's look at another text, Deuteronomy. If you're still in Leviticus, turn over a couple of books into Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, chapter 6. I'm trying to buzz through this really quick. Is it hot in here or is it just me? It's hot? All right, Evan's going to turn on the air. Amen, Evan. Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 to 2. These are the commands and the decrees and the laws your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land you are crossing over Jordan to possess, so that you, and who else? Your children, and who else? Their children, after them, may fear the Lord your God, as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, so that you may enjoy long life. Not just long life here on earth, but long life eternally. Let's turn over real quick to Psalms. Chapter 78, Psalms is about the middle of the Bible. Psalm 78, verses 1 to 8. Psalm 78, 1 to 8. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things things from old, things we have heard and known that our ancestors told us. We will not hide them from their descendants, and we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established law in Israel. And he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them. And even who? The children yet to be born. And they would in turn tell their children. And they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. And they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. Just like the difference we saw between Max Juke and Jonathan Edwards that trickled down through the generations, when you're telling the people about God, it matters. And like I said, this applies to our children, but this applies to the rest of our family too. I mean, how many of you want your cousins in heaven? Let me see your hands. How many want your aunts and uncles in heaven? How many want your grandparents in heaven? You got to tell them. We got to tell them. It's got to make a difference, right? Now, sometimes when we're parents, there's a lot of things. Life happens. And we get all worked up over messy rooms strange haircuts that the kids want. Why don't you get your hair cut normally, which means the way I cut mine. There's a lot of minutia that happens in life. And sometimes we get all worked up over that and we major in the minors. 
don't major in the minors. It's hair. It'll be okay. Right? Yeah, he wants to dye it blue. Hopefully he'll grow out of that someday. Right? Do you think, can you picture Jesus walking along with the disciples? It's time to camp for the night. They set up the tents, and Jesus going around and inspecting the tents, going, did you do that right? What about that? Hey, are you cooking supper right? You're not doing that right. Can you picture that? No, I can't either. I think Jesus was worried about some eternal things, some things he was trying to get into their hearts, and he was trying to prepare them for ministry and what was going to happen, and he wasn't so concerned about how the tent was pitched. That should probably be a lesson to us. Amen? Amen? Somebody up here agreed. By the way, it's great leaving the songs when the kids are up here singing. That's cool. You guys can come back and sit in the front and sing with us anytime. That's awesome. You know, have you, have you heard the saying, it takes a community to raise a child? I hate that. I really hate that saying. Why? It takes parents to raise a child. God's called the parents to raise a child. Now, it's nice to have a community with a little help, right? When you want to go out on date night, it's nice to have a babysitter that you can trust, right? When I was a kid, and some of you may relate to this, if you went over to a friend's house and you were messing up, it was perfectly okay for their parents to yell at you and get you back in line. Amen? Some of the, yeah, it's older voices that you hear saying amen to that. Right? And that was okay. It's good to have some support. But the community doesn't raise the child. The parents do. It's not up to the Sabbath school teachers. It's not up to the youth minister. It's not up to the pastor. It's not even up to our great Christian educators that we have. Some of them are at Christian schools. We've got Christian educators here that are working at public schools. They're a lot more limited to what they can do in the public school. And I'm grateful. I am so grateful for Christian education. It is worth every penny and more. Because I'm viewing that as increasing the odds that my kid gets into heaven. And I would pay any amount of money for that. See, we're reaping the results of a generation of kids that were grown up, but not brought up. They grew up, they aged, they got older, but nobody brought them up. Because it was always somebody else's responsibility. It was the school's responsibility. It was the karate teacher's responsibility. It was, it was always somebody else's responsibility. And the biggest problem we have today is not what we've done to kids, but what we haven't done to kids. That we haven't brought them up in the way that we should have. We haven't been good parents to them sometimes. Okay? 
Now, real quick here, we'll finish up. I know your stomachs are ground. It's time for lunch, right? I want to talk about three responsibilities that different people have if we're going to bring kids up the right way. What are the responsibilities? Number one, God has a responsibility. Turn with me to Ezekiel 36. God has a responsibility in how we parent our children. Sometimes we don't think about this. We think it's all mine, but it's not. God has a responsibility too. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. Everybody there? It says, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you, and I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. What is God going to do? Give us a new heart. You cannot give anybody else a new heart. No heart surgeons here today, are there? Other than those guys, the rest of us can't give anybody a new heart. God only can do that, right? We can try to coach our children, and we have a part to play in bringing them upright and doing some things, but we can't give them a new heart. And we can't pass laws that make this happen either. You see, people say, we need to put prayer back in public school. I love prayer. Prayer is a wonderful, great thing. But you can't pass a law to make people pray and expect that to work. That's not how this works. Right? We can't mandate somebody to do this. It has to be that they have a new heart and they want to do it. We can't look to the politicians to fix this. We can't look to other people to fix it. This is fixed in the home. The way, one of the ways to do this is to be like Joshua and say, for me and my family, we will serve the Lord, right? Me and my family, we're serving the Lord. I don't know what the rest of y'all are going to do. You want to come along with us, come along. But there's no doubt about what we're doing. Okay? Obeying God. And God will give us a new heart. All right. Secondly, the children have a responsibility. The children have a responsibility? We don't need to look this one up. I think you guys know this Exodus 20, 12, the fifth commandment. What's that say? Honor, right? Honor your father and your mother that you may live long in the land that your Lord, your God has given you. Now, we need to talk about this a little bit because when you're little kids, you learn to obey because I said so, right? Parents are dictators when kids are little. We dictate what they do. Hopefully, we're benevolent dictators, but we're dictators, right? And as the kids get older, you kind of relax that a little bit, and now you can't tell your 15-year-old, because I said so. You ever try to tell a 15-year-old, because I said so? Did that work out for you? I see some people shaking their heads, no. Right? 
You have to have a reason why and help them understand. See, they're called into obedience, but this obedience starts almost because of threat of punishment, right? When they're little, you have to be good or you get in trouble. When you're getting older, sometimes you think, I can take the pain. I want to do that, and I'm going to get in trouble. He's going to ground me for two weeks. Worth it. Right? So you can't just rely on the threat of punishment. There has to be a reason why. And the kids begin to learn honor, not just obedience. See, honor comes with this thought of, I love my mom and dad, and they've asked me not to do this, and I want to please them. I'm not just afraid of two weeks of being grounded, but I want to do something that will please them. You see the difference there? It's, it's subtle. We have to help our kids grow into that, okay? And when you put these two things together, this obedience and this sense of honor and, and, and being able to honor somebody, you get what we call self-control. You ever met somebody that doesn't have self-control? What a train wreck, right? It's usually a train wreck. They get mad and throw stuff and yell at people. Feelings get hurt. It's, it's wild because they have no self-control. Like I said, nobody here, right? We're, we're talking about other people. You got to have self-control. We want our children to have self-control, and they learn that by... Um, learning how to obey and honor their parents. Last one, parents have responsibility. Ephesians, turn with me to Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 4. You'll probably recognize this verse. Ephesians 6, 4. Everybody there? Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I think King James says, don't bring your children to wrath. Don't make them angry. Have you looked at the younger generation? Sometimes they seem pretty angry. Why? Whose fault is that? Theirs? No, that's our fault. That's our fault. We were the ones who were supposed to raise them up not to be like that. Okay? This text is, is interesting because it has a negative, do not, and then has a positive, instead, do this. So let's look at the negative. Don't exasperate your children, right? We're not supposed to make our children angry. Now, if you've ever had a teenager, you're going to make your child angry because you're going to say no when they want you to say yes. That's not the kind of anger they're talking about, right? The kind of anger they're talking about is the kind of anger a child would have towards a parent because the parent is not doing their job being a parent. Children need parents. You heard of the ABCs of parenting? 
You may want to write these down. I just discovered these. I wish I'd have known them earlier. ABCs of parenting, pretty easy. A, affection. We have to give our child affection. And sometimes we got to figure out how to give them affection when we don't approve of what they're doing. They may become adults. They may make decisions we don't like. We can't just say, hey, man, you're out of my life. That makes them angry. We're not supposed to do that. We've got to keep showing affection even when we may not approve. And that can be a challenge. But A is affection. B is boundaries. We've got to have boundaries. What are the boundaries that the family has? And C, there has to be consequences for those boundary excursions. And if your child is like me, there's going to be times in life where they're going to go, yep, that's worth it. I'll take the two weeks grounding because <laughs> I'm just going to do it. That's okay. But there has to be consequences. There has to be consequences. And when these children learn that there's affection and there's love all the time, even when there's boundary excursions and there's consequences, that will help them. Real quick, let's reflect a little bit. How is your relationship with your children and your parents and your extended family? Are there any relationships that need some attention? If you're a normal family, the answer here is yes, right? Most of us have some relationship in our family that could use a little attention. And some of you may be saying, you know what? I don't know how to do that because it's been 30 years since I talked to that guy. And I'm not real anxious to talk to him now. Well, put on your big boy pants and go over and say two words. I'm sorry. That's all it takes. I'm sorry. Even if they were the one that did it, you were innocent. I know. You were innocent. Go over and tell them I'm sorry and begin building that relationship. And then what are we going to do this week? What's our challenge? Pray. We can't do anything without prayer and take the necessary steps we need to begin building, rebuilding those relationships. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be the kind of parents that are bringing up our children the way you would have us bring them up. Help us to be the kind of parents that are working and actively trying to do our best with these blessings that you have given us, these children. And not just our children, Lord, but all our family, our cousins, our aunts, our uncles, our grandparents, our parents, everybody. Help us to be the kind of people that are continually pointing them to you. And they want to live the way we live because they see what you've done in our lives. Be with us this week and in the coming weeks and years to come until you come again. Help us to be a good example. Our responsibility doesn't end because our children turn 18. Help us to continue to pray for them, to never be one prayer short, and to pray for them that we can all be in heaven when you come on that day. Be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen.